This is Physician to Physician Plant-Based Nutrition. I'm Tracy Cushing, an emergency medicine physician. I'm also a mom, a wife, four-time Ironman, and I've been plant-based for 11 years. And I'm Eden English. I'm an internal medicine physician, a hiker, a ski boarder, a mom, and I've been vegan for the last five years. We're passionate about helping other doctors learn the science behind plant-based eating so they can help their patients develop sustainable, healthy eating habits. Each episode, we're breaking down the science behind plant-based eating and answering the questions we know most doctors have and most patients ask. Hey, Eden, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing well. Excited to be here for this short episode on frequently asked questions that doctors might not be able to answer. And I'm excited to do this one because I'm an internal medicine doc, so I get these questions all the time. But I'm also plant-based, so it's fairly easy for me to answer them. But we want to try to help anyone listening who may not be plant-based, but is a provider and gets asked these questions all the time and wants to help, wants to give patients good advice, but just isn't sure how to proceed. Which is an interesting question, right? As a provider, if your patient's asking you about something and a behavior that you don't personally engage in, that can be a difficult area to give advice in, right? If they ask you about exercise and you don't exercise, maybe you don't have a lot of tools in your armamentarium. I think PCRM is a really good resource for physicians. It's called the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. And they have information for patients that if you don't have, you can put in your waiting room, you can put brochures and other things like that and patient handouts of that. That's just an easy sort of out. If you don't want to take the time to learn the information, that's an easy way to communicate it to your patients without yourself. But if you want to learn about that stuff, Eden, how do you suggest a doc kind of get that aside, of course, from listening to this outstanding evidence-based podcast? (laughs) And another option is the Nutrition for Families program through balance.org, where there's information for pediatricians and infants and toddlers, and is another wonderful resource to direct families with young kids, uh, as well as pediatricians who might want to learn. What are some other places docs can get education about the benefits of a plant-based diet? I think I talked about it earlier too. I was able to take the eCornell plant-based nutrition certification class. That's a pretty quick way to do it. It's about 10 hours. It's been a little while now, but it's not a terrible commitment. Um, and it's covered with CME and they give you great information on plant-based diets and how-tos and all the whys, where's and how-fors and all that stuff. Um, so I really enjoyed that course. And, and Tracy and I are both taking our American College of Lifestyle Medicine certifications now, which is another great resource. That's a much bigger commitment. It's a lot of, it's about, 30 hours of CME plus a test and a conference and all that stuff. So it's a lot of information, phenomenal stuff. But there are lots of resources, some of the websites Tracy just mentioned. ACLM also offers a food-specific CME. So instead of doing the whole certification course, they actually have a shorter version just about nutrition. So if you don't necessarily want to commit to the whole certification process with ACLM, um, they do have a food-specific course that you can sign up for and just take that. And I think that's only five hours of CME. And we also have tons of people that we've mentioned before on the show. So Kim Williams, Michael Greger. Um, There's lots of different doctors practicing in this space that have websites and promotional materials that you can link to. I've created several different handouts that I can give to patients that just link them to other people in this space because I don't want it to all be coming from me. I want the patients to hear that multiple different providers are giving advice in this area. So we can put a link to a couple of those in the show notes. 
But one of the things that's important is to just have at least a, an ability to answer some of the simple questions, an ability to point patients in the right direction, or at the very least to avoid giving misinformation. So one of the things that people ask me about all the time is they're interested in plant-based diets, but are worried they won't get enough protein. And I know we've covered it a few times on the podcast, but I don't think we can ever say it enough that vegan diets really do give you enough protein, well-planned vegan diets. It's always important to caveat it with that because if you do eat nothing but French fries and Oreos, you'll actually get enough protein, but it is very unhealthy. So you really, it's hard on a vegan diet to get zero protein because almost all plants have some protein. And if you're getting enough calories, you're gonna be able to make the protein that you need. There are six essential amino acids, but we get them, plenty of them with just eating trace amounts. So we really do get enough protein with sort of any vegan diet. That said, I don't like to leave people with just that information and just go forth and prosper. So I usually give people a little bit more than that and say, especially when you're transitioning, if you're first looking at it, you can track your protein. I don't encourage that, but going for roughly 60 grams for women or 70 for men is reasonable just to make sure you're getting enough. If you're doing that, make sure that you're giving yourself credit for the trace quantities. So broccoli has protein, quinoa has protein. If we don't input those sources and only look to the meat or meat replacement in the center of our plate, we might not get to that 60 or 70 grams a day. But if you really add it all up, you do get there. And again, I don't encourage tracking it long-term just if people are nervous, but you can also just try to make sure that you're getting several protein sources throughout your day. It doesn't have to be one at each sitting, but things like quinoa, avocados, nuts, seeds, tofu, beans. We can't talk enough about beans and how often you should eat them. Legumes are one of the things that we've just drifted off our radar in the U.S. We don't eat them much. They cause gas. That's just terrible. When in fact, they cause gas because of the fiber deficiency we've created. And the right answer is to get ourselves used to the fiber again. So eat more beans, which is a great source of protein. And if you have beans in your diet every day, you will not be protein deficient. But Tracy, what do you say to people when they ask about protein? I hear a similar, not so much protein, but people will say, oh, I know someone who's vegan and then they didn't feel good or they were too tired or they were weak or they couldn't deadlift, whatever. And so then they had to go back to eating meat and now they feel better or their blood type told them they had to eat meat or some such variation on that theme. And I think to your point about not tracking things and just not cutting out animal products, you have to thoughtfully add back in healthy plant-based calories and learning to eat to fullness and satiety is actually a really hard thing for a lot of us. We've completely disconnected from our own bodies and our like sense of how much we need to eat in terms of feeling full. It's like someone puts a plate down and you just eat what's on the plate and you may or may not need what's there. And so rather than tracking things, trying to just eat thoughtfully so that you feel good after a meal, not bloated, not disgusting, not too much, and that you're not hungry an hour later. And basically, that's what you're aiming for. And if you have the right combination of carbs, fats, and proteins from any source, that's a healthy, mindful way to eat. And so you can easily get all of those from plant-based sources. And so when I tell people when people say, well, they were tired or they, whatever, it's usually because they weren't thoughtful about the nutrient intake of what they were having. Yes, white flour is vegan. And so you can eat pasta and rice and potatoes 
you won't be healthy if you do that. And you'll feel like garbage, but you'll be vegan. And so it's not just about not eating the animal stuff. It's about thoughtfully eating the plant stuff, right? Which is good and which is what we want you to eat. And that if people couldn't do it, it's probably because they were deficient in some important aspect of their diet. Very true, Tracy. Very good point. And the other, or the part that I like to emphasize too, is the not going too far, especially if you have been working on a low carb diet for some time, or if your patients have, the tendency is to try to stay low carb and vegan, which is simple, but very tricky to do well and not necessary. The point Tracy was, or one of the things Tracy was saying was that white flour is vegan. White flour is one of the carbs that we actually discourage because it's not great, but there are tons of carbs that we encourage because people are actually not eating nearly enough of the whole grain, unrefined carbs, things like quinoa, oatmeal, or brown rice, whole grain pasta, even um, things like that are really phenomenal. But if you decide you're going to go plant-based and also avoid all carbs, you end up eating salads with very little calorie content. And that will make you feel weak because you are starving to death. So please make sure that you're getting enough calories in your diet when you switch to a plant-based profile. And it really, carbs are not the enemy refined carbs are the enemy. Things where they've stripped the outer shell and there's no fiber package, there's no protein anymore. That is not your friend. But whole grain carbs are your friend and fresh fruit is very much your friend. I can't tell you how upset I am every time I have any patient with diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, any problem, and they tell them that some doctor has told them to avoid fresh fruit because of the sugar. And really fresh fruit should never be avoided. Sometimes dried fruit or canned fruit is on the no list because of the high potassium concentration or things like that. But fresh fruit is so good and so good for you. It's a cheap source of calories. It even has trace amounts of protein. Not much. That's not where you get your protein, but it does have a lot of good stuff. Please tell patients to eat fresh fruit. And my pet peeve is the, well, I eat tons of dairy because of the calcium. And this, we've been just absolutely brainwashed into believing that the only way to have healthy bones and yeah, I'll give the milk industry credit. Milk, it does a body good. A whole generation grew up with that stupid theme in our advertising and milk mustaches and whatever. And it's really ingrained in our culture that calcium equals dairy. And it just absolutely doesn't. And dairy is sad for you. And it's a really complicated conversation because it takes a lot of information and it's probably more than people want to know. But the bottom line is you absolutely do not need animal-based products to get calcium. Soy is a wonderful way to get calcium. Drink soy milk, eat edamame, eat tofu. And a lot of plant milks are fortified with calcium as well. And plant milks and plant yogurts are fortified with calcium as well. So look at the labels. You might even find that your soy milk has more calcium than your cow's milk. So that's another, uh, another myth that's out there that you can tell patients they don't need to drink from cows to have normal calcium intake. I couldn't agree more. Great point, Tracy. And we did talk about it in one of our earlier episodes, but they have tons of studies that show that really milk does not do a body good particularly for the bones, the countries that consume more dairy have worse bone health. So it is just across the board, not what is needed for our bone health. Beans, leafy greens, fortified milks, that's where you should get your calcium. 
I, I have a similar pet peeve lately with patients telling me that don't worry, they're eating very healthy food. They eat eggs for breakfast and lunch most days. And I'm struggling a little to see where eggs made this giant comeback. It seems like at one point we had realized they aren't the health food that some people seem to think. And now they're back the health food radar, which is not accurate. They're chock full of cholesterol and saturated fat. If you're starving on a desert island, by all means, go grab the eggs out of that bird's nest and go to town. But otherwise, they're just really not a healthy source of nutrition. If you eat an egg a week, it will not kill you. It's not healthy for you. You don't need it. But if you're eating two or more eggs a day, you're really intaking more cholesterol than you need, tons of saturated fat. And eggs, like all animal products, have zero fiber which is really one of the nutri nutrients that we are deficient in across the board in America because we've shifted so much to processed and animal-based foods, which take the fiber out or never had fiber to begin with. So Tracy, where do you get your fiber? Almost entirely from fruits and vegetables. I do eat legumes and I do eat nuts and seeds, but I eat at least probably three to four servings of fruit per day. And I would say five or six servings of vegetables a day mixed in with other things, but it's there. And so it's not an issue for me. I don't even really think about it. And I naturally choose brown over white rice, whole grain over white bread, just because I know it's better. And I now just prefer the taste of it. So I try to eat a rainbow and I try to have my food be as colored as possible and avoid things that are just plain white and it seems to do good for my fiber. How about you, Eden? I couldn't agree with what you're saying more, like eating a rainbow of foods and eating the brown stuff instead of the white and getting your taste buds used to it. So one thing I hear people say all the time is, well, they don't like that. I absolutely understand. We all have preferences. But one thing that we tend to forget is that our preferences can be shaped over time. So if we don't like something, even as an adult, we can keep trying it cooked differently, mixed with different things, seasoned differently, and perhaps we will start to like it. We also shift our preferences by repeatedly eating the same thing over time. So if you're very used to white bread and brown bread tastes too textured or too thick, if you stop eating that white bread for a month and eat only brown bread, your taste preference will shift towards the thing that you're eating all the time now. It doesn't work across the board for everything. You may not be able to tolerate mushrooms if you're one of those percentage of people that's always hated them, but you might. So please give yourself a chance to find health and happiness or better health by broadening the things that you think are in your flavor profile. So really, we can all get used to brown bread. We should. At some point, we got used to white bread. That is not a natural product. It's not something that we should eat. So we can shift our preferences back to the whole grains. So where I get my fiber, I get tons of whole grain. Um, I also eat tons of legumes and then fruits and vegetables throughout the day, nuts and seeds. Um, so I don't even have to think about it because I'm getting so much fiber during most meals of my day. And I think in a nutshell for a doc who really has minimal experience with this and has a patient asking about it, the bottom line, things we know, less meat and less dairy are better for your health and better for the planet. The more plants you eat and the more fiber you eat, the healthier you're going to be on all measures of health. And any small changes that you make make a difference and small changes add up over time. And that's really, the for someone who knows nothing else about this, those are the things that I would want you to be able to say to a patient and at least get them started or encourage them to explore this further. If you know nothing else about it, 
I think those are kind of the take homes. I agree. And I think that you can also say starting small, because to Tracy's point, small changes make a huge difference. I am a big fan of telling people you don't have to go vegan overnight. It's about moving in the direction of whole food, plant-based, predominantly a whole food, plant-based diet. So if all you can do right now is meatless Mondays, that's a great start. Um, maybe next time we have a visit, we can talk about meatless Tuesdays or DB6 is another popular one where breakfast and lunch are vegan and then dinner is a healthful, but potentially with some animal product option. Um, I encourage people to make SMART goals because I'm getting certified in lifestyle medicine. So make them specific, measurable, attainable, a bit and timely. Um, make sure that you're actually able to achieve them. So if your patient goes home with the understanding that their goal is to go vegan by their next visit, they're likely to fail. But if they go home with the understanding that their goal is to incorporate five new plant foods a week, every week for the next four weeks, they're pretty likely to succeed at that. And then when you have another visit, you can tweak their goal, add a new flavor, add a new twist, and keep them moving in the direction of more and more wellness. And that sort of team approach where maybe they follow up with a dietitian if you have someone in your area who is plant-based, or maybe there are patient support groups for folks that are going plant-based and other stuff like that. So there are community resources that can help people in between their doctor visits as well so that they can stay on track and stay accountable. And so it's worth knowing what's available in your area. And a shout out to all of the plant-based bees out there and other people helping with this effort. We could definitely use more in that space. We do have a lot of nutritionists that do great work um, telling patients the right answer. We do have to be a little cautious because there are still nutritionists out there and physical therapists or trainers that will encourage things like a paleo diet or a keto diet for weight loss, all of which we have plenty of evidence is not a healthy way to go. So be cautious if you're sending your patients to people where they're getting inaccurate medical advice. Um, that's something that I think we just need to all be aware of and help the people giving that advice perhaps learn the best evidence to give patients these days. And to that point, it's probably worth us doing a short episode on why keto diets are so bad for you, because they are very popular and they are one of the most common questions I get when whenever diet comes up. Oh, I'm following a keto diet for blah, blah, blah. I'm filling your disease of choice. No. And so. I can tell you that my patients tend to follow that with, and I just haven't been feeling well lately. And often their kidney function is not great either. So it really does make you feel sluggish. It makes you feel crummy. People do lose weight if you can stick to it. And the more you stick to it, the more weight you lose until you become so sick, you can't possibly stick to it anymore. And we can do an episode on it, but short answer is it makes you ill. It raises your cholesterol. It causes heart disease. It causes all kinds of problems. The short-term weight loss that they see doesn't stick when you reverse to a healthier diet and you're likely to end up with heart disease to go with your weight loss. So please don't tell your patients to go keto. And honestly, the most long-term sustainable diet is going to be the one that you can stick with, right? And the healthiest thing over time has been shown to be on a sliding scale, you know, down to all the way vegan, more plants, long-term health, people can stick to it longer. This isn't a diet, right? And it's important to say that this is not a diet that you're going to go on to lose a few pounds. There's plenty of ways to lose a few pounds that can be grotesquely unhealthy, this is a lifestyle modification that you are going to modify for the rest of your life. So do it slowly and thoughtfully because we want these changes to be something that you can stick with, 
right? Anyone can do a diet for a month, probably. That's not the point of this, right? It's not a quick weight loss scheme or anything of the sort. This is for your long-term health and longevity. And for the rest of your life, these are changes that are going to benefit you. And so reframing it from a diet to a lifestyle modification can also help people sometimes make that cognitive shift. Absolutely love that. And I try to always make that distinction as well. I don't want you to be on a diet. I want you to gradually move your lifestyle towards health and wellness. Progress, not perfection. Keep moving the needle. Keep doing better. It doesn't have to be a perfect solution right now. It can be progress towards that perfect solution ultimately. And have fun getting there. This is Tracy and Eden signing off. Less meat means less disease. Go have a happy plant-based day.